Dear listener, it's a great joy that you choose to join me. This is Adventist Soul Radio, the voice of hope. Please keep tuned to this station until the end. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. This is your favorite channel of program with interesting segments just for you. Patron will be having the family segment by Maureen Kwambukam. Today, she'll take us through the last part of why opposites attract. Thereafter, we'll be having a Bible segment by Sister Becky Arunga. Today's topic is about taking heed to your ministry. Before that, here's a song Ni Asubu Njema by Victory Church Choir. Hey, 
I hope that you've been blessed with that lovely song from Victory Church Choir. Thank you so much for staying tuned. Let us now prepare to listen to Maureen Kwamboka. Be blessed. Hello dear listener, welcome to today's Family Life program with a theme, Celebrating Our Difference. Today we are going to continue with part 2 of Why Opposite Attract. Joan sat down dejectedly in my office and began to tell me about our marriage. We have a good marriage, she began, but there are a few minor problems we need to work on. After informing me that she thought I might be able to help, she launched into the minor problems. My husband does not appreciate me. That began a tirade as she poured out a bitter vial of negative comments about her husband. Her main reason for counseling was to find a way to change her husband. From this inauspicious beginning, our session began to go downhill, with her poor self-image and self-pity becoming more and more pronounced. She seemed to relish bringing up hard feelings and seemed to derive satisfaction when Mark would lose control and walk out of the house. For his part, the more she sought affirmation from him by using negative methods, the more I refused to cuddle her insecurity. Joan had become so insecure that she continually expressed the belief that someday Mark would leave her. Such predictions tend to become self-fulfilling prophecies. On the other hand, Mark seemed to derive a perverse enjoyment from the power he exercised over Joan's life. Is there such a thing as temperament incompatibility? Is it necessary for a couple to share the same temperament traits in order to be happy? It may interest you to know that a survey of over 2,000 couples revealed that approximately 95% of them were of opposite or contrasting temperaments. Even though we give little thoughts of temperaments in the mating game, it seems that we are naturally drawn to persons who are strong where we are weak. We are fascinated by the person who can do what we cannot. We are attracted to the person who displays personal qualities we desire but do not have. John Dresscher suggested that we are all in a search for completeness. God made us this way so that marriage partners complement each other. Therefore, marriage has possibilities for growth beyond any other relationship in life if these differences are accepted and responded to properly. If marriage partners continue to value and cultivate the strength each brings, there are all kinds of possibilities for personal and marital development and happiness. It's an interesting phenomenon that contrasting temperaments are usually attracted to each other. A sanguine marriage a melancholy or felgamatic. A felgamatic marriage a choleric or sanguine. A very outgoing person marries one who is passive and prefers to be a spectator. An impulsive person marries one who is calm, collected and seldom gets ruffled. A very talkative person marries someone quiet and for good reason, while the perfectionist marries one who is somewhat casual or even careless. A procrastinator marries one who is always punctual and prompt. Commenting on his wife's punctuality, one man was well acquainted with opposite attracting when he remarked, I just have to believe in a second resurrection. My wife will never be ready for the first one. Likewise, a night person marries a day person. A tight-fisted miser marries a carefree spendthrift and regrets it for the rest of his or her life. A practical person marries a dreamer and the list goes on and on. 
The Bible offers an explanation for this phenomena when it refers to marriage as a one flesh relationship. Compare Genesis 2 verses 24 and Ephesians 5 verses 31. One flesh means that husbands and wives together are much more than the sum of strengths apart. A wife's strengths become her husband's strengths, and likewise, a husband's strength now becomes his wife's strengths, so long as they remain within the marriage relationship. But doesn't it follow that my weakness also become my mate's weakness and vice versa? No. Actually, since couples are usually of opposite temperament types, the strengths of one effectively cancel out the weakness of the other. However, the temptation is to look out at our mate's weaknesses with a disdain or contempt rather than an opportunity for us to exercise our strengths in their behalf. Accepting the complete package of your mate is essential, weakness and all. For example, I am a sanguine and enjoy public speaking. But my wife is a melancholy and is scared of to death to address large audiences. Therefore, she prefers to share her thoughts with me in private and I share them with the audience in public presentations. On the other hand, she's excellent at detail, precise work, a quality that almost drives me crazy. For me to sit down and patiently balance a checkbook is next to impossible. For her, it is a feeling of accomplishment. It is ironic that the very temperament traits that attract us to our mate later distract us and lead us to a counselor's room or divorce court. One melancholy husband lamented, I guess what I really liked about my wife was a free spirit. She never seemed to get bogged down by routine or mundane duties. She always had time for me. She always had time for people and enjoyed herself immensely in a group. Now we've been married six years and the house is a mess. She's always out visiting with the neighbors or working with some volunteer group. What is the problem here? As his sanguine wife changed between the courtship and the divorce court? No, the very same trait that caught his attention during the courtship are now creating tension in the marriage. This same sanguine wife complains, the reason I was attracted to him was because he was such an immaculate dresser. His car was always polished and clean, and he was so courteous, even when we were alone. But during the six long years of our marriage, he has changed. He has become extremely difficult to live with. He is always concerned about the appearance of the house and gets extremely upset if the beds aren't made before noon. He can't stand dirty dishes in the sink for even one meal. He complains if I happen to slam the car door or fail to wipe my shoes before entering his precious automobile is become impossible to live with. Has he changed? Or is he still the same melancholy perfectionist she fell in love with six years ago? One of our problems in marriage is that after a few years we decide to remake our mate. Somehow we have this fantasy that they must think and act as we do or they are not compatible with our personality. What happens when you try to remake your marriage partner? Does he or she appreciate your efforts? In most cases, the answer is an emphatic no. Changing your partner is somewhat like trying to bulldog a steer. It usually takes more effort and expertise than the average spouse can master, and besides, the steer doesn't like it much either. Attempts to remake our mate is nothing more than arrogance on our part and an insult to them. There's actually only one person you can change, and that's you. Someone once said that marriage is like buying a compact disc. In order to get the song you really want, you must buy the whole CD. There's an element of truth in this analogy. You must be reconciled to the fact that when we marry, we get a whole package, and it is highly unlikely you shall be able to change our spouse's basic temperament. 
in spite of our efforts, he or she will tend to continue to act out of the temperament mold that was established at the moment of conception. Our strengths and weaknesses remain basically the same as when we were children. Plus, we must remember that it was those qualities that attracted us to our spouses in the first place. If our spouse seems to have changed, it is because some of these qualities have suddenly disappeared. No, it is simply that we have changed our attitude and become less focused on their weaknesses. In most cases, it is not the size of life's problems that our attitude toward them that determines success or failures. So it is in marriage. But whatever happened to Joan and her husband Mark, did they ever reconcile their differences? The answer is yes. I explained to them that their primary problem was a basic lack of understanding of each other's temperaments. They thought they knew how their spouse was supposed to act toward them, but neither was willing to see others' point of view. Thank you for listening. I've been your presenter, Maureen Kwambok. that you have enjoyed that family life segment by Maureen Kwamboka. This is the New Life program coming to you from Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Do not forget to send us your thoughts about this program by writing to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00100-Nairobi-Kenya-or-email-us-through-awr-nairobi-at-ek.adventist.org. Let us now hear from Victory Church Choir with the song Katika Vita.
again for staying tuned to our station. It is time for the Bible segment. Sister Becky Arunga, welcome and bless us with the word. Thank you very much, beloved. It is beautiful to be in God's presence. It is a blessing to serve the Lord while we are still having this life within our nostrils. Surely, as long as we live, we have no other option but to serve the Lord. I want us to look at a text of utmost importance in our lives regarding how, yet again, looking at the life of Paul and Timothy, the relationship that existed amongst them. I want us to look and and, and revere the ministry that God has given unto us. Looking at this in the book of First Timothy chapter 4, we are going to outline and see to it how God is speaking to young Timothy through Paul and subsequently to us in this time and age that we may be able to understand that every ministry that God gives unto us is for the glory and honor of his name. And we should not despise it in any way, anyhow, but we should live daily by the Savior's side, taking to heed that which he has promised unto us. Let us pray. I am your sister in the Lord, Becky Arunga. Lord God Almighty, creator of space and time, I thank you for every day you give us an opportunity to study your word. I thank you for you've made it clear unto us that obedience is better than sacrifice. And so, Lord, having called us to this ministry, I pray that you may enable us to give our best diligently to the glory and honor of your name. Be glorified and be exalted in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Beloved, as I have said before, that we are considering the book of 1 Timothy and chapter 4, verse 12. I, I want to appeal to the mind of the young person, to the youths of our time. There is something that God is calling us unto. Many are the times that we have been called to duty, but we shun it, thinking that we are too young to serve the Lord. But I am persuaded of this one thing. No one is too young to serve the Lord. None is too old to serve the Lord. All of us have an opportunity, all of us have a chance, and all of us have the divine providence chiefly given to us by God to be able to serve him in the best way that we know. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading 
to exhortation, to doctrine. One thing that I desire is that verse 13 may make an impress upon our hearts. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. I don't know what we have been giving attention to in these last days, but while Jesus is to come, as you are waiting for Christ to come, one thing that remains for sure, we need to give attention to reading. It is by reading and by studying that we are able to know the will of God in our lives. It is by reading and by studying the word of God that we are able to know the Christ method of ministry and evangelism. It is by reading and studying the word of God that we are able to know the word to speak in season to someone who is suffering. And so the Lord is calling us to a special elevated standard. That is our privilege to attain. As Paul wrote to Timothy, that till I come, give attention to reading. And today, the word of God is speaking unto us. And Christ still is saying, till he comes, let us give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Exhortation means encouragement. Whereby now Hebrews writes in chapter 10 verse 25 that let us not give up the habit of meeting together as others have been doing. But let us give ourselves into exhortation knowing that the time is drawing nigh. To wit or to know the fact that God desires that we may learn something of utmost importance. That God desires that we may know exactly that which he wants us to know in our lives. And that is this one thing. That we may give attention to reading, to exhortation and to doctrine. Even so, as we are giving attention to reading, to exhortation and to doctrine. The doctrine of Christ who came was born on earth, Christ who lived as we lived, Christ who died, nailed to the cross, and rose again, and Christ who is coming to take all who believe in him to a land where there will be no sorrow or death. This is what God says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. This clearly shows us that each one of us has a gift that God has given us. We need to harness our gift for the sake of the gospel. Each one of us has something to do. None of us should say that there is nothing that they can't do for the gospel. Have you been just sitting there, warming the pews in the church, and wondering what you shall do for the Lord? It is time for you to think deeply yet again. Partner with God through the ministration of the Holy Spirit, and see to yourself, what is it that you can do? What is it that you can achieve for God? What is it that you can do by virtue of the gifts and talents that the Lord has bestowed upon you? My beloved, now is the time. It is a high time for us not to neglect the gifts given by God. You know, sometimes you may be reading, you may be knowing doctrine, you may be studying, but if we do not know how we are going to make use of the gifts in us to apply the doctrines of God, then we may be struggling with our faith. And so God is calling us and is telling us, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them and your progress may be evident to all. 
I know we have encountered people who have a prowess in a particular line of duty. You might have encountered someone who appears to have mastered their scriptures so well. But this is what God is saying. God is reminding us that we should meditate on the doctrine, on studying the word of God, on exhortation, and on the gift given unto us by the prophecy of laying on of hands. And if we give ourselves entirely, it is pouring out yourself entirely to them, your progress may be evident to all. It will not take success in any line of duty. It is not the result of accident or chance or destiny, but it is the outworking of God's providences. Fine mental qualities and a high moral tone, my beloved, is not a result of accident or destiny, but a result of faith and discretion, of knowledge and virtue and patience, because God has given us the opportunities, but success depends upon the use made of them all. What we need to do is to give ourselves entirely to the things that God has blessed us with. How I pray that this may make sense in your life. How I pray that the God of peace may give you the ability to make a decision for him by giving yourself entirely. Let us pray. Thank you, everlasting Father. Indeed, your word is a blessing unto us. You have enabled us to live our lives daily, and you've given us the breath of life. Lord, Help us to have a commitment towards you like none other. A commitment that surpasses all the pain and suffering that this world has to offer. A commitment that remains standing even in the midst of the storm. Glory and honor be unto your name, O loving Father. For I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for finding time to be with us. I pray that the Lord bestows his blessings upon you. Till we meet again, be blessed. We are grateful for the time you have accorded us today. Let us meet right here at Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Don't forget to send us your views, comments, or questions about the show by writing to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00-100-Nairobi-Kenya. You can also email us at awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. I've been a presenter, Sambal Mang. Until then, stay safe, stay blessed.